And then another question somebody had is, how are you doing? Oh, that's so sweet. I'm doing well, doing swell. <laughs> yes. You like that, don't you? <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's amazing. That's all I needed to Hello and welcome to another episode of Doing Well, Doing Swell, where we know that not everything is going right, but not everything is going wrong. And as long as we keep ourselves well physically and swell mentally, then we're going to be all right. I am extremely excited about today's episode because we have a therapist coming on the show today. Hey, her name is Destiny Moore and she is extremely qualified and has an abundance of experience in therapy and psychology. She got her bachelor's of arts in psychology at Spelman College and then she also graduated from the University of Chicago with her SSA in 2011. So she's been doing the dang thing for a hot minute now. Some of her types of therapy that she has focused on is psychodynamic, cognitive behavioral, emotional focused, mindfulness-based. She's worked with elders, adults, adolescents and teenagers, individuals and couples, those with mood disorders, trauma and PTSD, emotional disturbance, family conflict, addiction, coping skills, depression, drug abuse, etc. She's worked with it all and she's seen it all. She's done a lot of giving back to the community by allowing people to have a safe place to go to heal and to figure out how to work through their trauma and any issues that they're going through. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you Destiny Moore. Hello, Des. Thank you for being here with us today. Are you super excited to go through these questions? First of all, I'm so excited to be here on Doing Well, Doing Swell. I just wanted to put that out there. Well, we have 31 questions to go through, so let's try to get through them as quickly as we can so we can get to them all. So let's get started. Will I ever be mentally healed slash healthy enough to have a healthy, positive relationship with someone in terms of trust issues, unhealthy relationship patterns, etc.? I feel like it's such a big and dense question that no therapist has ever been able to give me a real answer. Often, I feel like I am broken in terms of relationships because of precious trauma that I've been through, and I don't see myself ever being at a point that I can have a healthy relationship. I'm kind of glad you started with this question early on. It gives me a small chance to uh, address a misconception about therapy. Most people think that your therapist is supposed to give you advice, and that is not what therapy is you know therapy is psychology is a science it isn't about venting back and forth um you can vent with your friends um a therapist isn't necessarily there to give their advice or their opinion though i'm changing you know kind of the format for the podcast and giving some kind of some quick short answers that could be seen as advice that's typically not the format of individual therapy so when it comes to this person Um, asking, will they ever be able to move on to a healthy relationship and be healed from certain things? Um, A huge part of that, though it is very broad, is making a choice to move on from certain things. Again, um, it goes back to a common phrase, you can forgive and not forget. These traumas are part of you. They're part of who you are, but they don't have to dictate you. They don't have to dictate how you live your life and, and who you are. Um, they're a part of your experience, as many things are. So sometimes we have to be conscious enough to make a choice and say, I'm going to be happy today. Yeah. I'm going to choose 
to be happy. I'm going to make a choice to wake up on the brighter side of things. I'm going to make a choice to ignore it when people invite me to feel. Um, I heard this phrase a long time ago. People don't make you feel, they invite you to feel. People approach you and they invite you to feel certain things by their actions. Like, hey, I'm going to start an um, argument with you. So I'm inviting you to be angry. You can choose to say, okay, I'm going to engage and be angry or nope, I won't take that invitation. I don't choose to be angry today. I'm going to let you be angry by yourself and I'm going to go about my business. So sometimes we have to take control and over those choices and say, okay, I've talked about this trauma, though it may still hurt, though I may still think about it. I have to choose to let it go. And I have to choose happiness in this instance. I hope that helps that person. (laughs) I think that was a good answer. The next question. Do you think that therapists are inherently better at introspection and self-diagnosing their own problems? Or do they still benefit more from a third-party evaluation? Oh my God, absolutely not. Therapists are not better at (laughs) inherently (laughs) diagnosing their own problems. Please understand your therapist has a therapist. This answers a couple of questions that also came in. Uh, Someone had asked if you had a therapist and... Absolutely. A couple of other people had asked, uh, how do you manage the weight of all of your patients' stress and stories and how are you not affected by it? And is it difficult to separate their stress from person from your personal stress? And then another person also asked these kind of go uh, hand in hand. How do you compartmentalize the lives of clients versus the closer relationships in your life? Are you just as emotionally invested or do you keep a certain distance? So when it comes to um, my own issues, again, I just feel like this was a gift for me where I was able to have the capacity. A lot of people do not have a, the capacity. A lot of therapists do not have the capacity um, and have to do some really intense work around boundaries and separation because their clients are going through so much and life happens to them as well. And it's really, really hard to manage. Um, I feel like I've had a gift. Sometimes I operate well in chaos. When there are multiple things functioning around me, I'm able to move through them. Um, I'm able to understand. I'm able to listen. I'm able to function in a, in a very different way than a lot of people. Um, so I, I definitely feel like that was a gift. But also I use my supports when I have heavy day with clients, when I have um, days where they're dealing with some severe issues, or I ha- maybe I have to hospitalize a client and I have my own issues, or like during the pandemic, we're all dealing with the pandemic together. We, we're all suffering um, during the pandemic. So I have to seek my supports, whether that's my friends, um, whether that's my therapist, whether that's my colleagues um, consulting, or whether that's me seeking supervision. I never stop learning and growing and seeking ways to better help the people I serve. Um, So that definitely helps me separate the two worlds and function well with my own issues while dealing with others' issues as well. Um, When it comes to compartmentalizing and the therapist I am with my clients versus who I am with my friends, um, it's very, (laughs) it, it crosses lines sometimes. I think as I got older, I got better to set boundaries. I think previously it's just like, oh, I can help anyone and everyone. But as I get older, I'm realizing I'm spending hours on people's problems in my family. Um, And I'm doing this work more and more for hours at a time. So I definitely have to set boundaries Um, with my family. I'll notice that I won't be as repetitive. Um, You know, I've gotten in a mode of saying things once, like after that, you have to learn on your own. Um, We won't continuously go through the same issue that you bring to your own door. 
Um, or sometimes I have friends that I'm close with or that I've had a history with. We may not necessarily be close with now, but I have a history with them. And they want me to be their therapist. Like they'll outright reach out to me like, hey, I've been talking to you for weeks because I'm in trouble, but I need you to be my therapist. And that's a conflict of interest. So at that point, when someone is seriously seeking therapy and they've been using me as their therapist, I tell them like, hey, I can't do this. You really do need a therapist. I can't fill that void for you. I can't take that on for you. So here are some referrals. Let me help get you connected. Is there anywhere in there where you felt like I didn't answer or elaborate on those questions? No. Okay, cool. No, I think those were great answers to those questions. Um, Next question. Why isn't therapy covered by government insurance? So that is untrue. Therapy is absolutely covered by government insurance. I thought so. The thing with therapy is therapists can choose what insurance they take. So a therapist doesn't have to take um, whatever insurance you have. They don't have to take public aid. They don't have to take um, the Medicare and Medicaid local of your state. Uh, they don't have to take all private insurance. They don't have to take insurance at all. <laughs> I know a few therapists that do not take any insurance whatsoever. So what happens is um, for myself, I'll speak for my practice. I recently started taking um, Medicaid and Medicare last year when the pandemic hit, because I noticed there was a need. I wanted to do something. I was fortunate enough to um, not have been laid off, um, but I suffered in other ways from the pandemic. So I wanted to help. So I started taking Medicaid and Medicare. It's not easy. It is not easy to become a provider. Um, Some people see it as easy as signing up saying, yes, I'll take it. And it's just not. They send you through a lot of hoops and a lot of people don't want to go through that. Um, They require a lot out of you when you see a person using government insurance as far as documentation, as far as audits, as far as check-in. And a lot of therapists do not want to go through that. Sometimes they do not pay. Sometimes they do not pay on time. Um, And when I say they do not pay, not permanently, but it takes them a while like you know you won't get paid for months at a time um and it got worse with the pandemic so a lot of people just don't want to go through those hoops but therapists can absolutely take government insurance a lot of therapists do what's called sliding scale so before i took government insurance i operated off a sliding scale what that means is i would um use a a local scale a government scale or i would create a sliding scale based off someone's income so you submit your pay stubs to me Um, I calculate that, have you fill out an application and you pay a lesser amount um, than my other clients would pay based off of what you make. Um, And that was really, really helpful, is really, really helpful to a lot of people who can't afford anywhere from 60 to $200 for therapy. Yes, that's an actual range. Um, So they need it based off their income so we can get what they can pay. So a lot of therapists offer, um, you know, sliding fee scale. So that's always an option for individuals who don't make a lot of money who need a therapist. That's interesting. I've never heard of that before. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to go about it, though. Absolutely. Just let your therapist know, like, hey, financially, I'm on hard times. Do you have um, any options for me to pay sliding scale or do you offer... Um, you know, any application to get a lesser fee because of my income. Good to know. Good to know. Um, Another question. How many times a week do you cry? (laughs) Whoa, that's (laughs) hilarious. It depends on the week. It absolutely depends on the week. Uh, It's Monday. I have not cried this week. Um, Last week, quite a few times quite a few times last week the week before that mm, didn't cry 
So it just, it, it varies. It varies on what I'm going through, what I'm dealing with and what people around me are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your approach to handling clients that try to psychoanalyze you? <laughs> I love that question. Everyone wants to be a therapist, <laughs> literally. Everyone wants to be a therapist. Um, oh my goodness. And it's so interesting because, oh, wow. It's so interesting because I wonder where it comes from. And it goes back to, um, again, individuals thinking like therapy is just talking. I can do this. I talk to my friends all the time. I gave my girlfriend good advice and got her out of a bad relationship. Like people think <laughs> that that it's just talking. It's just venting. No, what I do is a science. That's why I went to school for this. I learned processes and models that work with various populations to heal trauma. Like literally, this is what I do. So um, I often get um, individuals that try to psychoanalyze me or they try to, they just want to know my story. Like, oh, I share so much with you. Open up a little bit. And I'm like, that's not what this space is for. I'll absolutely do what I call thoughtful disclosure. And if there's an experience that I feel I've had that's similar or comparable to what my client is going through, I'll share pieces of that. after knowing this person and knowing that it will help them in a certain way or feeling that it will help them in a certain way. Well, my clients um, try to psychoanalyze me, depending on what it's about, um, I'll set a boundary, but most likely I'll ask them, you know, what is that about? Why is that important to you? Do you recognize that you're doing this? What does this mean to you? So I'll just put it back on them and say, why, why do you feel the need to do that? Do you understand what this question means? You know, how important is that for the work that we're doing, for the goals that we have for your treatment? Um, I'll just put it back on them and ask why they feel that is important. That's a good strategic way of doing that, putting it back on them. Um, These next two questions kind of go hand in hand together, so I'm going to give them to you together. Um, One person asked, why is it so hard for me to believe in my own feelings? And then another person asked, Am I way too hard on myself because of my anxiety, depression, or do normal people put themselves through this as well? That last one is a difficult one because I like to know what, what they mean about hard on themselves and putting themselves through quote unquote this. Can you repeat the first question? Why is it so hard for me to believe in my own feelings? I would love to know if these people have had experience with therapy before. Um... When I hear that question, I hear almost why is it so hard for me to believe in myself? A lot of people have a hard time. um, A lot of people have a hard time understanding and recognizing that their feelings are valid. And without knowing the details that I would further ask for these questions, um, I would say this person has had experiences where their feelings have been invalidated where they haven't been affirmed, um, where they've been made to feel like their feelings don't matter. So that creates a a pattern um, that creates a false belief in yourself. So a lot of times we have to undo trauma. We have to undo cycles. We have to undo unhealthy patterns, maladaptive patterns. And we have to actually put in the work to recognize what we're feeling and why we're feeling it. And that's what therapy does. Therapy puts you in tune with your feelings. 
therapy helps you understand that all feelings can be healthy. It, it's just a matter of how you express them and how you behave when you feel them. Anger can be an absolutely healthy feeling. You need anger to balance out joy. You need anger to balance out sadness. You need anger to give you an equilibrium of everything you're feeling. So it can absolutely be a healthy emotion. So it sounds like this person was invalidated for so long, they never learned um, how to believe in themselves. So you have to surround yourself with people, a a community, a network that helps you do that work. Um, And I would also connect with someone who can help you process the trauma that led you to feel that way. And when it comes to the next question, being so hard on yourself about anxiety and depression, I feel like a lot of people are. A lot of people are hard on themselves when they fall into sadness, when they fall into an episode of depression or an episode of anxiety. Like, why can't I control this? Why can't I just stop this? Um, And odds are, you haven't connected with someone to help you do the work or you haven't connected with the right someone. A lot of people think therapy is a free-for-all and it's not. You have to find a therapist that is a fit for you like you would when you're finding a fit with anything else in your life. When you're shopping for clothes, when you're shopping for an institution of higher education, when you're choosing your friend network, you're finding people that fit you, that compliment you. A therapist has to compliment you. And it's okay that after a few sessions, you realize I don't mesh with this therapist. I don't like their model or what they're doing is not helping me. Um, So I need to find another therapist. That is perfectly okay. It's okay to shop around to find someone that's a fit for you. The first therapist is almost, is not always going to be a fit for you. I'm not going to say almost never, but it's not always going to be a fit for you. And that's okay. I think people need to feel okay and free to, to move on and move around to find the proper person to help them heal. And it goes vice versa. You're not always a fit for your therapist. And a lot of therapists do not operate in that way. And I'm realizing that a lot of times we take on clients just because they come to our door when in reality, Some clients are not a fit and that's okay. Therapy has to be a fit for both parties. Um, What I do when a client is not a fit for me or I'm not a fit for a client, I first of all, upfront, let them know, please, I'm open to this. This happens because I've heard too many trauma stories with therapists. So I let clients know in the beginning, if you don't like my style, if you don't like something I say, please bring it to my attention. And if we can't improve on it, I will help you find what you need. I don't want you to stay with me if you feel like I can't give you what you need. I mean, I don't want you to stay with me if I feel like I can't help you and I feel like we're not a fit. I want to get your needs met. Either way, whether you're my client or not, new or old, my priority is you and your safety and your well-being. And I want to do what I can to get to you. So this person needs to find the right person to help them work towards healing and really figuring out um, what these episodes of anxiety and depression mean for them. I'm sorry, that was a long way to say that. No, it's okay. That was good. I feel like that was a good answer. You hit a lot of different points that were necessary to hit. The next question, should I unfollow my ex? <laughs> oh my goodness. This is an age old debate and that's complete opinion. That is complete opinion. Um, ooh. Mm. <laughs> so I would say if, 
I had this conversation with someone the other day about having pictures of X. Like one of my friends has no old pictures of any X or anything. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, you don't ever look back in like an old hard drive and find all of these pictures? Like, okay, you just don't have them. Cool. But I would say if it depends on how this person makes you feel and it depends on what their social media is doing for and how it's influencing your day to day. Um, I have some individuals in my life who have a very unhealthy um, connection with their ex's social media. And if it's unhealthy, if it's influencing your day, um, where the point where you're looking on there every day and you see something that makes you feel a negative way, it makes you feel sad or angry or anything along those lines, that may mean, okay, this is unhealthy for me. I need to unfollow them. It doesn't have to be permanent, but if these things are still striking up feelings in you that make it difficult for you to move about your day, that make it difficult for you to focus, um, that may mean, hey, I need to step away and unfollow this person. Do you ever encounter clients that seem to be paying more for your company than actual help? Ooh, that's a good one. Who came up with that <laughs> question? I want to get a snaps on that one. Um, yeah, these are these are anonymous questions, but this person knows who they are, and they always ask bomb questions. Oh my goodness! Who pays more for my company? Well, say it again. Just so <laughs> <hear>. <laughs> um, has there ever been a client who seems to be paying more for your company than actual help? Yes, 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 yes. I have felt that a client has paid more for my company than actual help, than actually being willing and able to do the work. And what I do in these situations is I bring it to their intention. And it's so interesting. I cannot give too many details, but um, <laughs> I'll, 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 I make it a habit to consistently and frequently ask my clients, you know, how do you feel about our work? I send out surveys. What do you feel like you've gotten? Um, how do you feel like things are going? Do you feel like I listen to you? Do you feel like I understand you? Um, what do you feel like your your growth has been? What do you feel like you've accomplished? So I send surveys and I ask these questions in my individual sessions. And because I can feel all types of way. If they're not ready to own how they feel or if they are in disagreement, um, I just want them to tell me why. If they can make a case saying, hey, I have accomplished this. I get A, B, and C out of our meetings together. I'm growing in this way. I'm inspired in this way. I'm influenced in this way. If they can give me reasoning for our work together, um, there's no reason for me to set boundaries or turn. I'm sorry. There's no reason. I always set boundaries. But there's no reason for me to terminate that relationship um, because they have to, we have to both be on the same page. I can't just say, hey. I feel like you're paying for my company. You got to go. No, I'm going to strategically assess what you feel like you're getting. And I'm going to consistently assess that. And if you feel like you're getting something that's feeding your process, that's improving your lifestyle, that's feeding you day to day, that means something. That's important. So I want to keep giving you that. Um, so yeah, I do feel like clients want to pay for my company and I assess them um, very detailed assessment and ask, what do you feel like you're getting? How are you growing and accomplishing? they give me some valid detailed answers, then we continue to move forward. 
Um, if they don't, and I feel like we're not a fit because we're not doing the work and they're just paying for my company and they are owning that or in some way admitting to that, we terminate. We work towards termination. Do you have a hard time opening up to others because of your job? And if so, does it get lonely? Okay. I do not. mm, mm. I don't think I have a hard time opening up to others because of my job without giving too much detail about myself. Um, I don't think I have a hard time um, opening up to others in general, or if I do, it's has nothing to do with my job. It's because I've seen a lot and um, you have to, I, I, I tend to not give people my trust. I tend to initially make them earn it mm. because I've seen I've seen a lot and I've seen people take advantage of, of certain things. So for most people, if I'm not comfortable telling you something, if I don't know you well, if I'm not comfortable telling you something that other people can hear, like I have to make sure that what I tell you, I'm comfortable with it getting out to the public mm-hmm. because I don't know you. I don't trust you. So I have to make sure whatever I tell you, I'm comfortable with it getting away. Um, that could be seen as me being guarded, but I think that's seen as me being smart. I feel like that's just a smart way to um, live life. I live my life like that. I'm not going to do anything that I don't want, you know, being broadcasted to the world. I'm not going to say anything that I wouldn't want broadcasted to the world. Exactly. Exactly. Especially with the way social media. Mm, say mm-hmm. it again. This is why I am <laughs> rarely, rarely on social media. Um, because I just don't want to put my life out there like that. Like, I'm still, I like to call it traditional old school. I like these old school connections. You know, I like these more authentic connections. Do I see how social media is influencing and moving the world forward? Absolutely. I didn't say I wasn't on there at all. I just don't use it in the same way that others do. I'd rather not expose myself in that way. And it has its benefits and it has its challenges. Absolutely. But my job, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, me not opening up. If there are times that I'm not opening up, um, it's because I don't know you and I have to feel more comfortable with the person uh, before I reveal certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, has there ever been a client you believed you truly couldn't help? <laughs> My friends think I'm trying to save the world one person at a time. So I do not think there's been a client that I truly could not help. And I say that because I think every experience, good or bad, is helpful. I think every experience, good or bad, has an influence on who you are and shapes you in some way, shape, or form. So have I had clients that I needed to terminate with immediately? Possibly I needed to, but I didn't. (laughs) I haven't terminated with a client like, oh, we're not a good fit. Um, yet I'm more, as I'm growing in the field, realizing that that's okay to do, but I have terminated with a client a couple months down the line and it wasn't that I could help them. I think that they got things out of our sessions. I think that what they received was help. I think it was influential to who they are and how they moved going forward. Um, but sometimes you just have to terminate those relationships. Sometimes you aren't the most beneficial individual for that person and it's okay to own that and say that and help them find the help that's going to influence them 
you kind of answered that earlier as well because you were talking about how if you feel like you're not a fit for them, then you'll at least help them get to somebody else. And I feel like that's still helping somebody even though you're not necessarily the therapist. You know what I'm saying? How do you not feel guilty for putting yourself and your needs first? Oh, this is twofold. Or maybe not. I don't think you have to not feel... Okay, this is the thing. To not feel guilty for putting yourself and your needs first, um, you have to recognize that that's not going to come immediately. That's going to come down the line. So first of all, you have to accept that guilt. Accept that if you're a person who has consistently always put others first, when you change that behavior, when you transition, when you adapt, when you adjust, you are going to feel some type of guilt um, or some form of shame in not allowing these individuals access to you in a certain way and putting yourself first. So accept that. Don't move differently. Accept that like, hey, this is guilt. This is what it feels like. And I'm feeling this guilt because I have a pattern of putting everybody else first. Myself, my my personality, my spirit, my body doesn't know what it feels like to transition into putting myself first. So now that I'm transitioning through that, I'm going to feel some guilt. Accept that. And make sure that your behavior doesn't change. Still behave in a way where you're putting yourself first. Accept that guilt because that guilt is going to be temporary. Um, a lot of times we try to avoid feelings. We want to turn them off. Like, how do I stop feeling this way? First, you acknowledge and accept that you feel that way. You got to sit in it. And that's the worst part. We hate sitting in our guilt and our anger and our sadness. We hate sitting in it. There's no way you're going to grow from it and automatically turn it off if you don't sit in it. You have to learn to move through it. You can't go over it. You can't under go under it. You have to learn to move through your emotion. So sit in it, accept it, and say, even though I'm feeling this way, I'm going to talk to myself and understand why I feel this way. And then I'm going to continue to act in a way that puts me first And I'm going to be consistent and repetitive with that so that this guilt is no longer a prominent feeling. But how do you navigate, let's say you've done the work and you've accepted, you know, I'm going to feel guilty here and there. You've accepted being able to sit in it and to deal with it and, you know, move on and still do what you need to do. But how do you manage that and balance that when you also have people that are fighting against you doing that exact thing. They're fighting against you being okay and comfortable in your guilt of, you know, putting yourself first and they're making you feel guilty even more because they're used to you not putting yourself first. Mm, I feel this question for many reasons, Um, but I feel your response. I feel your response. So I'm never um, an advocate for cutting people out. So it's not about that. It's about setting a boundary. When you're trying to make a change in your life and you have people going against the grain and going against that change, you have to set a boundary with them so that you can efficiently make this change and they don't have access to you while you're trying to do it. A lot of times these people are our mothers, our fathers, our siblings, people who we cannot get away from. The goal is to not delete them. It's not to get away from them. It's to set a boundary and limit access. I have to control my environment because I am working towards change. And when I see you interrupting that change, 
I have to set a boundary and limit your access. There are always going to be people challenging you, whether it's in a work environment, whether it's in your personal environment, whether it's at school, there are going to be people challenging you saying, hey, you should feel bad because you're not doing what I've always known you to do. You're not being the person that I've always known you to be. You're growing, you're changing, and that doesn't fit with what you've been to me. They have to adjust. And at a certain point, particularly at that point, it doesn't become about you doing the work for them. They have to do their own process and they have to do their own work. You limit your access, their access to you so that you can focus on yourself. So you have a person going against the grain, making you feel guilty, bringing up things that don't work for where you are in your life and where you're transitioning and how you're trying to change and grow. You limit access to them and say, hey, I'm trying to grow in this way. You're not supportive of that right now. I don't love you any less, but I have to focus on this. So if I'm not available to you as much as I was, this is why. And everyone doesn't have to get give an explanation, but it helps. It helps to allow a person to understand I'm changing. I know this is different for you, but I need your support in that way. If you cannot support me, you have to understand there will be a boundary and you won't have the same access for me. I love you. You're not going anywhere in my life, but you can't have the same access to me if I'm going to grow in this way. Boundaries are so, so important. It's not about cutting people off, deleting people. Now, some people need to do that initially to set a boundary for themselves because they can't manage other people constantly coming at them. So they have to cut them off temporarily because that's what's better for them. But it doesn't have to be that way. You just have to set a boundary and say, hey, my boundary is going to be you won't have access to me on these days. My boundary is going to be I have a special day to talk to you. It's going to be on Fridays when I know I don't have to work and I have a light workload because that's when I can handle your energy. Or you limit conversations. I'm going to give you 20 minutes. Then I'm going to have something else to do. Sorry, got to go. Can't explain myself, but got to go. But you have to set those boundaries when you find people pushing against the grain of how you're trying to better yourself. Does that make sense? Did I answer that? Yes, that makes sense. Sometimes the the pushing against the grain is just, uh, uh, it's harder to smooth out. <laughs> <laughs> None of this is pretty. And a lot of people are scared. Um, imagine having someone you love, like a sibling or a parent, um, who is the one making you feel guilty. These people in your life who have done so much for you. Imagine having these people are the ones that are making you feel guilty, that are making you feel bad, that are going against the grain of your own change. It's hard to set boundaries with those people. It's not supposed to be easy. Anything worth having is challenging, is difficult. That makes it no less worth it. Yeah. How do I let go of the hurt when the person never apologized and was never sorry? Uh, I think I'm going to have to be a little cliche on this one. Um, and you just gonna have to find some, someone to help you do the deeper work, but you know, we all hear, some of us know that the apology it's, it's not for the other person. It's not about the other person. We've learned that an apology signifies that that person is really remorseful, that that person is really sorry and they want to change and they wouldn't do this again. And that's not what an apology is. I know a lot of people that just apologize like water flows in Lake Michigan. 
Yeah. Like just to be apologizing. <laughs> exactly. They apologize for the heck of it. And that's not okay. So understand the value of an apology from the person that you're expecting it from first and foremost. Um, Cause everyone values apologies in different way. I know some other people that when they apologize, they mean that that's not something that they say lightly. They don't like to apologize. So if they do it, they mean it. Um, but you also have to understand that this process of healing, it doesn't involve the other person. Like they were there, but they're not responsible for your healing. You don't forgive people so that they can heal. You forgive people so you can heal and move on. So you kind of answered this earlier with like one of the very first questions. You were like, you can forgive, but you can't forget. But you choose essentially what to be upset about. So just let it go. Exactly, exactly. And that's so much easier said than done. I completely understand that. But you have to start working to understand that that apology is not about them. They may never apologize. I know people who have people that hurt them that are deceased. And they'll never get that apology from them. They'll never even be able to have a conversation to get a certain type of closure. But closure can look different. You have to be open to understanding that closure does not have to involve the party that harmed you. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's beneficial. But it does not have to involve them. You can absolutely work through that hurt. Um, There are different ways to work through grief and loss when you've lost someone um, that hurt you and didn't apologize or when you've lost that relationship um, or when you lost contact with them or communication with them, you have to do the work with someone. What this looks like for some of my clients, um, I'll just give one thing that we use. Sometimes it's helpful for me to do letters um, or role play. I'll have um, us act it out in session and I'll be the person that you know, committed this grievance against them and will work through that. And they're able to say their anger and their sadness and their joy in a way that they weren't able to with someone who hurt them because they didn't feel safe with that person. Or I'll have them um, write a letter to the person that hurt them and we'll process it together. Um, So you, for one, have to understand that you don't need another person's apology to get closure, to move on from that situation. Acknowledge what apology would mean to you Um, But understand that sometimes it's not always attainable, but it's absolutely attainable to move on and let go and to heal without that person. So understand those things and connect with someone, connect with someone who is skilled in the science of psychology, who can help you process the loss of that relationship and the hurt that this person caused you. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question. Are animals typically good judges of character? Where are these questions coming from? Are animals a good judgment of character? First of all, you don't know this, Mallory, but I love animals. And um, most times I think they're much more uh, smart and loyal than humans. (laughs) Especially cats. Disagree there. I would say especially dogs. Yes. Especially dogs. Cats are bad. Dogs are amazing, beautiful. No, no. Cats are just so woke. We don't have to get into it. Yeah, because you're wrong. We can save that for another day because dogs got it on lock. No, (laughs) does, does. Dogs, dogs are happy to be around anybody. Look, dogs are happy to be around Ray. You know what I'm saying? A cat's not going to like Ray. A cat's going to have to trust you first. (laughs) For those of you that don't know, (laughs) Ray is my brother. 
Uh, all animals like Ray. He just <laughs> speaks to them. Some people have that language. They've been around animals so long, they speak to them. I think cats like Ray sometimes. My cat didn't like Ray. My cat slapped Ray. He slapped him so hard we heard it from the other room. <laughs> Look, um, cats like me and I hate them, <laughs> so they're not smart. Okay? I can't stand cats. And for some reason, they always like me and want to be petted. And it's crazy. <laughs> it's because they know you don't like them. <laughs> but, but yes, pets can, and animals can be very, very intuitive. Most, you know, especially the mammals that are comparable to humans. Moving on, next question. If people never fell in love, would they truly ever be happy? Oh, I think you got me with this one. That's very opinion-based. So I guess y'all want my opinion on love and life, huh? Um, <laughs> if people never find love, will they ever be truly happy? Wow. Mm, so, okay. I'm assuming they mean romantic love. But I'm going to... I'm assuming they mean romantic love as well, but I feel like, I don't know, love is love. Right. I feel like I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't know anyone that's never experienced or found love at some point in their life. Um, And this, you're talking to a person who worked with um, a disadvantaged population in Chicago for the first six, seven years of her career. I work with individuals with infectious diseases. I work with um, individuals that were homeless, living under Vidox in Chicago. Um, so I've met and had the, the the phenomenal experience of meeting a lot of different people from a lot of different lives. And I've never met someone who has never experienced love. Um, I've never met someone who has never known love at one point in their life. So I don't think that that's necessarily a fair assessment to make. Like, I don't know anyone who hasn't found love. Even if you, there, I, I know individuals who didn't have either of their parents in their life at any point, whether biological or adoptive, and they felt love from friends or distant relatives. Um, I've known people who felt love in romantic relationships. Um at one point in their life, or if they've never had a romantic relationship. I've met people that experienced love from someone that crossed their path in their life. Um, This could be family, friends, colleague. Um, I've just met people that have always experienced love. So I don't know if I can truly assess that because I've never met anyone who hasn't experienced love. Yeah. I feel like it just comes in so many different ways that it's hard not to experience. It could even just come from your love of playing basketball or something like that. Yeah, your love of um, doing things. Absolutely. Um, Okay, let's uh, fight through really fast with these last few questions. Um, Because of your profession, do you feel like you overanalyze what your friends and family say or do? (laughs) I don't know. Um... I think a lot of people, it's so funny. You can tell when someone's not ready for change because I could say the smallest thing. I remember when I first started my private practice, I could say the smallest thing to people and people would be like, don't psychoanalyze and don't psychoanalyze me. Don't overanalyze me. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I would have told you you were in this abusive relationship or that person wasn't ish before I became a therapist. 
mm-hmm. like some things are just plain and people want to believe that they're about about psychoanalytics um i feel particularly i don't do that because i separate i try as very intentionally to separate my personal and professional so um i want to be able to be free with my friends as much as they want to be free with me so i don't want to make it about business i don't want to talk to them like I would a client because I need them to be my friend in that moment as much as they need me to. Next question. What are some tips you recommend to help end some of the negative stigma surrounding mental health? I feel like 2020 did that on its own. Uh, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Mental health is booming right now. Um, But I do still come across people who think um, that mental health is, you know, this negative process and that they don't need it. Um, so was this, did it ask some of the things I would do? Some of the tips you would recommend. I feel like this person had followed up this question, uh, talking about how they never felt the desire to, um, tackle their anxiety and or depression because one, their family had a negative stigma around it and they, they were just so scared of being diagnosed with something. I think the biggest thing is is talking to people that you trust. And sometimes when you notice certain cycles in your family that are not good or that make you feel a negative emotion, um, they don't become your primary source of trust. So one thing is talking to people that you really trust and, and have grown to even, you know, admire about their thoughts on the process. Like, what do you think about this? Um, also... I would do do my own research. I would look at, there are a lot of celebrities. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of individuals who are in mental health right now. See what their experience is about. People are posting it all over social media. See what their experience is about and see if you can relate to that. See if that makes you feel better. See if that inspires you. Um, and I would start small. If you're a person that doesn't talk to people regularly anyway, it's going to be difficult to open up to a therapist. So see how you are opening up to people outside of the ones who have the stigma. Open up to a friend. Open up to someone new. Um, call a hotline. Um, there are a lot of hotlines out there where you could talk to individuals about therapy without having this hour-long experience. See how it feels just to open up to someone that you don't know um, and try to see if it's a fit for you. These next two questions I'm going to put together because they kind of go hand in hand again. Um, one person asked, has any advice you given to clients helped in resolving issues in your own life? And then another person asked, do you take your own advice? Yes and yes. Um, advice that I've given has definitely directly um, helped me in my own life. There are sometimes when I'm processing another client's concern and I ha- I've been dealing with the same thing and maybe I didn't even recognize it or maybe I didn't recognize that it needed attention. And then I'll be talking to a client about it and they'll be like, they'll ask for, um, you know, some clarity or they'll want to know some next steps. They'll want to know some coping skills. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you should try this. And sometimes I'll let them know, like, you know, you made me think that I am dealing with a similar situation. And I'm also going to try this so we can check in next time and see how it worked. But yes, I, I often, I'm not going to say often, but I do take my own advice. 
sometimes I'm just not ready and I own that. Like, look, this is for you where you are in your life right now. You claim to be ready. Me, I know I'm not ready for that. So it'll be there when I'm ready for it. But right now I'm not. But yeah, sometimes I do take my own advice. How can you tell people are really changing versus when they think they are? I think this is coming from a a therapist standpoint of like, if you are, you know, you have a client and they continue telling you that they are changing things about themselves. How do you know when that's true versus when they're just, you know, talking the talk? I mean, I think the biggest um, factor is behavior. Like when you notice someone's behavior changing, that's when you know they've actually changed. Someone could say it's, it's that old phenomenon. Someone can say, I love you all day. But if they don't behave in a way that reflects love to you, then they're not behaving as if they love you. So when someone says they've changed in a specific way, their actions have to reflect that. Actions speak louder than words. Always, always. And then another person said, uh, why is Mallory such a Mallory? (laughs) One and only, baby. Authentic. Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh, you already know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on Doing Well, Doing Swell today. We were happy to have you and all of these questions uh, you've answered amazingly. So I'm glad I can share this with all of my listeners and the people who sent in the questions. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you all for sending in your questions and being open and honest. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope it helps and give Mallory feedback. Like, do you all hate it or love it? Um, was I helpful? Would you all like to see this again? Cause I'd definitely be open to doing it again. Yes, please, please, please let us know if you enjoyed this episode. Give us any feedback that you have. If this helped you out, you can reach out to me at insidemallorysbrain at gmail.com or on Instagram at missmalloryloving's. If you made it this far, why don't you send me a message that says 50 minute club? Just so we know, just so I know, because I kind of, I'm honestly, I'm curious. I want to know. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any feedback, please let us know. I'm your host, Mallory Lovings. Remember to be well and stay swell. I'll see you next week. Peace.